This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about settlement solutions, litigation, mediation, and structured financial security from Ringler, the largest and most experienced company of settlement consultants in the United States. Ringler has been helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by American General, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler's Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, here on Ringler Radio, we've previously covered the growing trend toward litigation surrounding traumatic brain injuries and concussions, many of them in the sports arena. But recently, since more is being done to understand and prevent these injuries in youth sports, we've brought in an expert whose work at the Center on Brain Injury Research and Training, also known as Siebert, at the University of Oregon, is making a big difference. And joining me today as my co-host is my friend and Ringler colleague, Nolan Robinson, from our Beaverton, Oregon office. Uh, so with that, Nolan, hi, how are you? Good to have you as my co-host. Hi, Larry. Great, great to be back. Terrific. Well, our guest today is David Cracky, the Brain Injury Advocate Coordinator for the Center on Brain Injury Research and Training. David is a returning guest on Ringler, and now his advocacy work on this issue is having some real impact. So welcome back to the show, David. Uh, great to have you back. Larry, thank you so much. And Nolan, thank you as well. I was reminiscing back to October of 2011 when we did a similar interview to this back in what I'll call the good old days you guys really helped launch uh, my advocacy with that interview. Uh, it's been ongoing since that time. As you both know, there's been such an incredible increase in public awareness about youth concussions, and I want to thank you guys for being a part of that. Well, I want to thank you. You know, We've launched the careers of so many, so many people on this show. <laughs> it's been terrific. It really has. Well, David, there's no cure for traumatic brain injuries, so your approach is to try and uh, – intervene at the youth and school athletic level. Talk about what you and uh, Siebert are doing to really help that process. Well, it really started back in 2009 when Oregon enacted the nation's first youth concussion law. We were working basically in tandem with the state of Washington at that point, uh, both states developing youth concussion protocols. Uh, the University of Oregon and the Center on Brain Injury Research and Training really were, were, you know, they're one and the same, and they were really a leading uh, educational research component for all of this. Uh, University of Oregon had a real commitment to understanding the effects of traumatic brain injury uh, with youth players, and it uh, really just kind of spawned an opportunity to, to essentially put our money where our mouth was. And when Siebert, University of Oregon, asked me to join their team, uh, this was pursuant or is pursuant to a federal activities of community living grant, ACL grant, to be the brain injury advocate coordinator. Um, you know, I, I, yeah. I couldn't resist. It was no, a perfect I, opportunity. I can understand. I can understand. And that's, uh, that's quite, a, quite a, pr a process you're taking on here, a, a fight, uh, which is a great fight to, to be involved in. And uh, obviously, uh, there's a lot of work to do, but you're certainly in the right spot. But David... David, you talked about uh, Max's Law and Jenna's Law a little bit there, and I, I know Max's Law was 2009. Jenna's Law, was that 2013? Uh, 14 is when it was uh, uh, went into effect. We were working on it from basically 2012, 2013. 
Gotcha. So there's been some time has passed now. Do you, are you seeing kind of an impact on, on how concussions are treated now as a result of those laws? I would say that both of those laws have been tremendous successes. Now, does that mean that everything is perfect? Absolutely not. But what it does mean is that concussion protocol is now firmly established within both high school athletics and general youth, more recreational athletics throughout the state of Oregon. Under Max's law, which focuses primarily on high school sports, a coach is required to, the four R's we call it, he's required or she's required to recognize that a concussion may have occurred, to remove the player from play, whether it's a practice or a game, once that recognition occurs, to refer that player to a qualified healthcare professional, and to allow the player to return only when that qualified healthcare professional has provided a release, a medical release uh, to do so. Now, Jenna's law kind of expanded on that, and it took it to uh, concussion protection and concussion protocols for all youth sports, but inherent in Jenna's law is also this incredible education component. It requires concussion education for all coaches, all referees, at least one parent of the player, and for all players over the age of 12 years. So think about, think about what, we're, what we have created now. You know, our, our conservative estimates are about 150,000 Oregonians out of a population of about you know, 3.8 or so million. 150,000 P Oregonians per year are receiving concussion education. Uh, one other thing that's really important with regard to Max's law and then also Zach's law up in, in Washington, since that time, all 50 states have codified some sort of concussion protocols for young athletes, all 50. Think about that, you guys. Uh, Larry Nolan, last time we talked, um, probably, well, probably since a couple of years had passed since, since Max's we probably had 10 or so mm-hmm. other states that had followed our lead. Now, all 50 states have. No, no question. That is, that is fantastic. Yep. That's really fantastic yep. progress. And uh, boy, getting, getting 50 states to agree on anything these days is tough, but uh, this, is a, this is a real good start. Real it's an easy stuff. call, isn't it, though? Yeah. It's an easy call. Well, you know, I'm sure one of the challenges, though, uh, David, is athletes themselves like to they like to play. They, the football players in high school want to go to college, so they want to be on the field. They don't want to be on the sideline. And, you know, there's this uh, bravado that a lot of them have, as you know. So this return-to-play concept that, that is now in play in Oregon uh, – Talk a little bit more about that. Maybe you can give us an example of a player that gets tackled. What what, what exactly happens in uh, in that in that protocol before they can get back on the field? Well, sure. And I think before we get into the specifics of the protocol, we need to know the why. Why don't, why are we doing this? And the reality is that ninety nine point nine 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 go on. How many nines do you want to add to it? <laughs> percent of of all youth athletes are going to go pro in something other than sports and whatever they decide to go pro in, whether it's teaching, engineering, journalism, uh, being a lawyer, a doctor, whatever it might be guaranteed, they're going to need as much cognitive uh, function, brain function as possible. So under Max's law, the return to play protocols, and they're the same under Jenna's law. And quite frankly, they're the same in almost all States. It's the, uh, the law States that if a player suffers a blow to the head or body and has signs, symptoms, or behaviors consistent with a concussion, 
then the coach must employ the four R's that we just talked about. And the unfortunate truth is, is that uh, we can see those specific examples pretty much any high school athletic uh, event if you're there at the wrong time when a, when a player is concussed. But I'll actually do that. I'll actually go to high school football games just to kind of see how things are happening. And I went to one um, uh, last season, and a player certainly was hit hard. I mean, there it was, hit hard. He kind of got up from this hard hit. You could tell, I could tell from the stands that he was having some balance problems, kind of stumbling around, looked a little stunned, looked a little confused. And those are kind of obvious issues you could see. I mean, but what about what about the less obvious? Are the officials that are on the field, are they charged with any uh, observation issues and, and trying to control this as well? Or, or is it just simply the coaching staff from the sideline has to uh, kind of make a, an observation on their own right? That's a really, really great question, and I and I talk about this a lot. I uh, the coach is not required to have seen the hit to the player. The coach is not required to to observe those concussion signs or symptoms. Anyone can do that. But once the coach learns of that, whether it be from a referee, from another player, uh, from a spectator, even then the coach's responsibility of the coach's protocol kicks in. So no, we don't have it's there's no requirement that the coach sees it. Uh, as long as someone sees it and reports it to the coach, then those protocols kick in. So hopefully the referees are well aware of this at this point, and if they see something, it comes to light. But back to this game that I went to, the coach in fact did recognize it. The player was pulled out immediately. <clears throat> so now you have recognition, now you have removal. And then I watched as the athletic trainer, and, and luckily there's athletic trainers at many of these games now, the athletic trainer went through uh, what we call the impact testing. And impact testing is a baseline, they, they do the impact testing preseason, establish a neurologic baseline for that player that allows them to then do the impact testing once a concussion is suspected and see if there's any deviation from that baseline that the player I had at the onset. And in this case, there apparently was some sort of deviation from baseline. The um, athletic trainer sat the player down, but ultimately the player walked off the field and went to the locker room, came back in street clothes and sat out the rest of the game and cheered on his team. Uh, team members were showing great camaraderie. Uh, it, was, it, was at, it was Max's law in practice. It was really great to see. David, can we can we talk a little bit about flag football versus uh, tackle football for you? I mean, I I've been seeing commercials on on TV here for a new flag football league, but at the same time, when I drive by the high school on Saturday morning, I uh, I still see kids of of all ages uh, out there playing tackle football. And I mean, do you have some thoughts about uh, what they should be doing at that age, at those younger ages in particular? I do. This is a this is a real big kind of question that's happening right now in in youth youth football studies were published in, in the fall of 2017 and then again in spring of 2018 that demonstrates uh, neurological damage uh, or you know, neuropsychological onset executive function problems increased odds for impairment in the future where the what they call the age of first exposure afe to tackle football is under the age of 12. Um, that the young brain is male brain, especially is really developing in that pre-adolescence uh, stage that it's in. 
and it's very easily damaged. And so when these kids are getting out there and hitting themselves head to head over and over and over, we have and are seeing, thanks to these great doctors, actual scientific basis for confirming that they are suffering some form of uh, cognitive impairment as a result. Now, is it going to happen in every case? No. But where it does happen, it's going to be significant. They, in the spring 2018 study, they showed a 13-year earlier onset of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE, the, the NFL disease, in those players who played youth football before the age of 12. Uh, this is a very serious thing. So what do we do? You know, parents are educated at this point. You know, if I'm a parent of a kid who's playing football I, and I'm aware of this science, I'm going to say, what's happening? You know, what's happening now that, now that I'm educated about this? And what I'm doing as a parent is I, I'm demanding options. So one of those options is no full contact football before the age of 14. Uh, I know you guys are considering that in Massachusetts right now as a legislative option. Yeah, seventh grade. Um, yeah. That, that's right. Uh, but on the flip side of that coin is football is absolutely entrenched in our society. You know, you know, and let, let me, is, and let me just say this, David, that issue you just raised about football being entrenched is really at the, at the really, it's at the, the, the cusp of, of everything we're talking about here, because there'd be no argument about what you're talking about, about the, uh, the medical science, if it wasn't for the entrenchment of football as part of our, our culture and our society. So let's take a quick break right now. And we'll come back in just a minute with some more uh, interesting uh, information about concussions and youth football right here on Ringo Radio. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio, brought to you from Ringler, the nation's leading provider of fair settlement solutions. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler advisors work with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. Everybody wins. There's a Ringler consultant in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experienced experts in the settlement business than Ringler. Check out our website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for injured parties, attorneys, and claims professionals to find the Ringler advisor nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best, most objective financial plan. You can count on Ringler Advisors to create a customized plan that meets the financial needs of you and your family for the future. Visit RinglerAssociates.com to learn more. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and here with my co-host, Nolan Robinson, we're speaking with our special guest, David Cracky, the Brain Injury Advocate Coordinator for the Center on Brain Injury Research and Training in Oregon. Uh, Nolan, I know you and I were talking before the show about uh, a lot of the technology. You've seen it out there in Oregon and other places. Uh, tell us about that, Nolan. Yeah, I, you know, it's, this is interesting. I, I've been fascinated when I've seen uh, stories about people who are, are looking ways to innovate and, and improve this kind of situation. I know there's the uh, Dartmouth football. Uh, their coach, Buddy Tevens, has created the mobile virtual player tackling dummy. Uh, is, is 
this the model for the future to protect uh, football players, do you think, David? I think there are a couple of things happening with Coach Stevens uh, and the mo- mobile virtual player, as well as what's going on with helmet design company out of Seattle called Vicis, V-I-C-I-S, uh, that's essentially um, created, have created a helmet that has a kind of a crumple zone to it, much like a vehicle's crumple zone. Uh, a lot of the Seahawks are, are wearing that, uh, that helmet, as are others. But what, the, what Coach Stevens at Dartmouth uh, stated a few years back was that no Dartmouth player will ever tackle another Dartmouth player in practice. They worked with folks at their engineering school to create this mobile virtual player. It's essentially a tackling robot. And it's all because uh, he, Coach Stevens understands the risk of concussions, and he understands that practices are where most, of con- most concussions occur. And so he's greatly reduced that risk. So, yeah, I think what, what he is doing, what uh, companies like Vices are doing with the crumple zone on the helmet. Uh, really are taking us into the future and really kind of show us where we're going. Yeah, you know, I've I've, I've seen those Vices helmets. Uh, they look they look pretty uh, advanced. Uh, although although you notice that even with some of the newer helmets, some of the players like to wear the old helmets. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of funny. It reminds me of back in hockey when they went to helmets. There were still some players who wanted to go bareheaded, you know, <laughs> in the face of all those pucks. So there's no accounting for. Uh, for uh, well, for taste well, in some of those I've, instances. I've, 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 sorry, I've heard from some of those players, and it's uh, some ways it's, it's the peripheral vision, so it can be something as as, as kind of basic as that, where they want that vision as opposed to that uh, that that helmet protection. Well, let, let's end the show here, uh, David, with this issue, and, and that is players can get concussed, but then another concussion takes place. In other words, they can, ha- they can go through all the protocols, be taken out of the game, come back into the game when they're, when they're perfectly ready, and then get another concussion. What is the impact of the second con- concussion, the, the syndromes that, are, that I know are out there about multiple concussions? What is that all about? Well, what you're, what you're talking about is second impact syndrome. Second impact syndrome is a situation where, where when a player is concussed, and again, I'm going to revert back to my layperson speak here, get out of the medical. I consider it when the, when those brain cells are concussed, they turn into icicles. You know, they of course don't really turn into icicles, but let's use that for the analogy. If you let that player's brain heal, it's as if those icicles slowly melt, they drip to a stream, out to a little creek, to a river, to the uh, ocean, and everything for the most part is good. If, however, that player is concussed while those brain cells are still in this icicle form, it's like taking a stick to the eaves, and those, those brain cells shatter. And uh, at that point, you have a permanent neurocognitive injury. No question. So, you know, you're, you're doing a, a lot of fantastic work, David. Uh, and there are a lot of, as we said, technological advances and even legislative advances that are really helping in this whole arena. But overall, would, would you say you're optimistic about where this is going or, or are you uh, a little more careful about that? I am really optimistic. I, I really think that the message is now out there. I think people are responding to it. I mean, you are seeing a drop in participation in, in youth football. I don't think that's necessarily a, a, a good thing because we want our kids out there playing sports. But it is a good thing in that parents are saying, well, I want my kid to play sports. I don't want them to potentially injure their brains while they're doing it. Hopefully this will lead to some awareness among these more entrenched personalities who will say, you know, now I get it. I should, you know, uh, support the league's 
decision to do what they can to make sure that my kid cognitively is intact at the end of the day. Um, I, you know, the, the fact that we all 50 states have passed analogous laws, the fact that there's so much talk about it, the fact that we have so many brilliant researchers doing this work, all leads in my mind to a future that is brighter than where we were, especially in the 1990s and the 2000s. Well, that's a great way to end the show. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you again in a, in a little while to see a little update on how things are going. And if someone wanted to contact you, David, how would they do that? Well, they can contact me right through the Center on Brain Injury Research and Training. Uh, phone number out there is area code 541-346-0593. Or they can contact my, me via email, and it's first initial D. My last name is Cracky, K-R-A-C-K-E. So it's D Cracky at Siebert, that's C-B-I-R-T dot org. And I would encourage anyone who has any questions or wants to chat to give me a, uh, shoot me a call or give me a call or shoot me an email. Terrific, terrific. And Nolan, if someone wanted to talk to you about structuring settlements, how would they do that? I can be reached, uh, of course, via our website, ringlerassociates.com or by uh, our phone number, 503-601-8100 or our email address, N. Robinson at ringlerassociates.com. Well, that's great. And as Nolan said, uh, you can reach any Ringler Associate on ringlerassociates.com. It's a great website. It's got a lot of great information. Uh, you can also find uh, us on ringlerradio.com and legaltalknetwork.com. Or you can go to iTunes where you can download any of our shows and listen to them at your leisure. So with that, I want to thank you, David, for being a great guest. Thank you, Larry. Really appreciate it. And thank you, Nolan. And, and thank you, Nolan, for being a great co-host. And for the rest of you out there, go have a great day. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio, celebrating more than a decade of podcasting and over 2 million listeners. Think of Ringler, the objective settlement advisors with more than 140 consultants in 60 cities nationwide. Visit ringlerassociates.com today.